I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And as of this week, this show is brought to you by you. So thank you to our early patrons supporting us now each week at patreon.com slash UK tech. This may come as news to some of you, but we put out a special episode on the feed uh, a few hours ago or late last night, depending on when you looked at your feed, uh, to say we are now a Patreon podcast. And if you're already a patron, then this that you're hearing now in your ears is your extended cut of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our extended versions and my weekly columns and various other exclusive perks that we're giving to our supporters, uh, you can now head for the very first time to patreon.com slash UK tech. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash UK tech to find out how you can support us. Obviously, links will be in all all the usual places on at text message pod on our website, techpodcast.uk. There'll be a link in this MP3 feed uh, in the description for the file as well. So it's there. And you can obviously be prepared to hear at least a little bit of plugging of that um, each week. But this is all very exciting, isn't it, Ian? We're in our third year. It is. Is it three years? Well, we've Crikey. done two, we've done two complete years, um, and I covered some of this on the special episode, the uh, Future of Text Message uh, episode that we put out yesterday, which says that we did our very first tease on the fourteenth of January, uh, twenty fifteen. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting bits of trivia about this show that probably people don't realise, um, and we are rushing up on episode one hundred, aren't we? Which is really exciting. So this will be our third year and our hundredth episode. Um, but originally, you, you wanted to sort of do this as a much more, have many more people involved and have guests with you each week. And um, it just ended up being the Ian and Nate experiment, didn't it, ultimately? Uh, well, we've had, some good, we've yeah. had some good guests on as well. Um, but I, I like doing it, so you are unable to prize me away from this second mic. <laughs> well, there's a, as I said, there's a special episode on the feed right now. Uh, it's about 15 minutes or so long. If you if you want to go and have a listen to, uh, you know, where we're trying to take the show, what's next, why have we moved to Patreon, uh, why are we not moving to advertising, um, and the very realistic fact of just the sheer amount of time that it takes to do this show, it's anything between about 10 and 20 hours a week um, of, of my time in terms of research and prep, recording, editing, and, and, and what have you. So. Um, something's got to give at some point and I don't want to make the show less regular in fact if anything I want to make it more regular and we want to make episodes longer and bigger and do um, columns written columns every week for for people so all that stuff is happening um, but rather than accepting advertising which we've had offers for um, you know several and I've always turned them down we're doing it this way instead so for those of you who want the show to just be exactly as it is and no changes then fine you know yeah. carry on listening to the free feed or go and you know you can you can give us the equivalent of about a beer a month 
uh, just to supporters, that's great. But as part of that, even at the, at the lowest level, you'll get an extended version of the show every single week with extra stories, more conversation between Ian and I, things like that. Stuff that uh, you told us in the December listener survey that you really wanted. So thank you to... Uh, in fact, I'm going to list all these people here. Richard, Heather, Stephen, Michael, David, Daniel, Alison, Guy, Andrew, Tom, Joshua, Mike H, Mike M, Miles, D, Matt, James, Oliver, Anthony, Leo, Brian, Graham, Marta, Richard, Tara, Kieran, David, Kate, Will, and Richard, and Carl and Tim, who pledged literally as we were recording. They have managed to pledge before we even did the first episode. So Amazing. Thank you to all those guys. Now, one of those people might be my mother. Uh, thanks, Mum. I won't spend it on sweets, promise. Um <laughs> But anyway, thank you to all those people. And um, we'll leave that conversation there for the time being. But as I said, there's a, a much bigger explanation about what we're doing with the show this year. Uh, so do give that a listen on the feed. Now, I think it's time uh, to quote Theresa May slightly to get on with it, uh, which is to say the show. Ian, according to The Register, UK mobile networks are now 8% less crap, according to... I mean, that's it. that's good news, isn't it? I mean, any, any amount of less crapness is going to be a good thing, right? Something like that, yeah. Now, they were <laughs> writing a story about um, mobile network performance monitor Root Metrics, which did a big study, it does this every few months, about the reliability of the UK's mobile networks and how they've improved 8% in the last six months of 2016 from the summer through to the end of the year. Now, this is based on network performance on roads, indoor locations, using regular people's phones, you know, just ones purchased from regular operator stores um, during the day, during nighttime, while walking and driving no special equipment or anything um, and they reckon one of the conclusions of this study was that 7 million additional Britons are now covered by 4G versus a year ago which I think is is very interesting and certainly something I've noticed in my own experience I don't know if you have Ian yeah I mean I, I suppose I'm on three so arguably the weakest network in some regards especially in London uh, due to over oversubscription, of, co- of course, I'm on Plusnet as well now, uh, so I have an EE by the back door, if you will, and it's very good. And that's uh, a SIM card that I have in my iPad. Um, but I've actually, uh, I did, um, I met the Root Metrics people uh, ages and ages ago, and did a little. Uh, we did some testing, and uh, it's quite interesting. Their app is quite good. You can install uh, an app, and it tells you bits about what, where you are and what the signal on average is like. Um, and they showed us how they do it. They basically. I mean, not won't go so far as to say nail smartphones to a plank of wood, but basically they ha- they do have quite a controlled environment that they drive around the country with and do all these tests. So um, it's pretty cool. But yeah, it's good. It's good, right? I mean, any any improvement. I mean, you would expect things to improve. I don't like it when things get worse. And. Uh, in terms of improvement, apparently Vodafone was the most improved, which shared the top spot with EE in Scotland and Northern Ireland, although Vodafone apparently came out worst in data performance ranking. Now, I did have a look at uh, sort of the highlights for each of the four main networks here, EE, O2, 3 and Vodafone, to really pick out kind of one conclusion that applied to each of these. Now, EE was apparently the best for everything. Uh, Rootmetrics said that while other operators had shown improvement at the UK level, compared to the first half of 2016's testing. EE's performance across all test categories were a cut above the rest. Uh, so that's overall um, reliability, uh, speed of data, uh, data performance. I'm not quite sure what the difference is between speed and data performance because they feel kind of um, synonymous. Uh, call quality and re- reliability and texting. And EE came out the top across all of these. O2 
Uh, its rankings actually remain identical. So they, they had a pretty flat change to the end of the year, or rather they didn't change at all in, into the end of the year, uh, at least in terms of overall performance, network reliability, data performance, and call performance. Um, but apparently texting improved on O2 for the nine people who still send text messages. <laughs> uh, three. How, how, how does it even improve? What what have they changed? Or what? I mean, is it just because there's no demand anymore? Could possibly be, but I suppose that there was very little change between the start of the year and last year in terms of demands for text messages. Maybe five years on five years, but um, I mean, t- texts can sometimes fail where calls seem to work somehow. I'm not quite sure why that is, but it is it is a it is a thing. Uh, three. Uh, earned a reputation apparently for delivering strong network reliability results and uh, that was the same at the end of last year for root metrics yeah, um, it's reliably always the same <laughs> its reliability score was 92.8 uh, presumably that's out of 100 which means it wasn't far behind uh ee which was in first place with 94.5 yeah. so outside of london perhaps ee uh, 3 sorry is a hell of a lot more reliable and then vodafone ranked second in categories for network speed, call performance, and text performance. Um, It ranked third in other categories, but apparently the results were fairly strong. So it it doesn't seem that any network has really failed in the last half of the year compared to the start of the year, but um, it does seem that across the board, 4G has has really improved in these these tests. And apparently overall, we're now 8% less bad or 8% better. It depends who's writing the headline. (laughs) Okay, now we... One thing we're not going to do over the next 12 months in this show is talk about every time a tech company raises its prices because of weakness in the pound. Um, And I wasn't going to talk about Sonos raising its prices this week um, but then Microsoft said it was going to raise its prices on, on its laptops its Surface Book so I thought we'd spend just a couple of minutes um, just on these just to look at the sort of percentages that we're starting to see uh, increasing here uh, Sonos had said and Sonos actually is the maker of uh, the speaker systems the wireless things um, generally pretty high end um, they said on Monday that they're going to raise their prices as much as 25% uh, depending on the product so um, the, the one that I looked at I looked into these numbers and there's there's an amplifier product that they do which will go up from uh, go up 25% to £499 some other of their products like the Play 3 speaker uh, will rise 15% to £299 um now that's higher than we've seen the pound drop in some cases the pound is is dropped against the dollar about 17% so far uh, since the since the referendum vote so the play speaker rise is actually less than the than the pound has fallen but obviously that's made up for by the 25% for for some other products and also you've got to under, well I, the way i would see it is that they're obviously they're insuring themselves against having to do another price rise in the future um where by by having a little bit of headroom in there now having said that um, and we'll talk about you know Microsoft putting up its prices as well. I do have less sympathy with Sonos um, because I don't feel like their speakers necessarily cost what they charge for them. Like the margin on speakers is considerable, um, and I they also don't do a lot. Like they don't they don't seem to add a lot of extra stuff in. I mean, you get the occasional software update and features with uh, Sonos, but. It moves at a glacial pace anyway, but I, I find that price rise a little bit annoying. That feels a bit more gougy 
And whereas with Microsoft and the Surface Book, we all know that PCs are, as a rule, built on very little profit anyway. There is that, but I mean, businesses live and die on the margins that they can they can command, and and Sonos has always been a more of a higher margin product. Plus, I I believe they pay for all their components in dollars. So they this, do. They said that in their uh, statement they? actually that they pay for everything in dollars. So then, uh, you know, and the reason we're talking about this is to keep tabs on the the percentages companies are changing their prices because we know how much the the pound has fallen. Therefore, we can tell whether a company is maybe taking advantage of this in some ways and maybe giving consumers an easier ride. And I actually think that for Microsoft, they're giving consumers an easier ride. It's unavoidable that the pound has fallen um, and that that means our money gets us less than what it did before. But it's dropped 17%. Microsoft is raising the prices of the Surface Book by 11.5%. So they're not actually increasing it as much as, I want to say, quote unquote, could, at least in terms of having parity with the decline of the pounds well, value. Yeah, I mean, they but, could increase it by any amount they wanted to, really, couldn't they? Yeah, I mean, so they've increased prices about £150 across the board, according to some figures TechCrunch had posted. So a base model that used to cost um, uh, £1,299 now costs 1449 So it's 150 quid more, but it's, it's just over 11% more. Not 17% more and not the 25% more that Sonos is charging for its amplifier, which I can only assume is is because they sell far fewer of them and the Surface seems to be doing quite well. Well, if you have an opinion on the price hikes that we've seen or the percentages therein, then let us know. If there's one thing that I can honestly say we love on this program, it is an email about percentages sent to podcast at natelangson.com. Or you can join the now hundreds of people who have signed up to follow us on Twitter for our midweek UK technology news tweets and comments at text message pod. I wanted to move to an email. We've got a few emails this week, so we're going to scatter them throughout the show. This one came from Mike W. Now, Mike, I believe, is one of our early patrons, so thank you very much, Mike. Um, he says, Hi, Nathan Ian. After listening to your show a while back regarding Virgin Media trialling their own version of Wi-Fi hotspots using routers within their customers' homes, I decided to purchase a new router and use my Virgin Media router just as a modem. He said he had the new V6 box installed yesterday and started chatting to an engineer about this whole Wi-Fi thing, which is nice. And this engineer believed that keeping the Virgin Media router in modem mode won't actually prevent Virgin Media from being able to broadcast on their own, um, you know, their own SSID, um, SSID, sorry, when they decide to roll this out to the rest of the country if they if they choose to. The engineer said that it's why many of the users within 200, uh, within the 200 megabits per second service have speed tests that hit about 220 megabits per second at the moment because the extra bandwidth is what's going to be used for public Wi-Fi when hotspots are enabled. Now, this is really interesting and we hadn't heard anything like that, nor um, did Mike say that he'd found anything on their website or anything to confirm or deny this but it totally makes sense because I I get higher than 200 megabits per second on my Virgin router at home so it stands to reason that I can't have a viable complaint if that drops to exactly what I'm paying for versus and and let's be honest it wouldn't all the time anyway I mean like how many of us live in a place where people are going to be wanting to use Virgin public wi-fi it's very unlikely isn't it Um, like unless you unless you live in a town centre most people passing through are not going to so I don't know, just uh, jump on the internet. I mean, it might happen, but it's quite unlikely. 
It is unlikely, and certainly unlikely where I live in a nature reserve where I don't have neighbours on one side and it's a private street. Yes. You know, it, it's very suspicious if somebody comes down our road and stands outside the house for a while because why would you? Yeah, absolutely. But um, if you want to prevent this, so there are two ways you can do it. First of all, you can go on the uh, Virgin Media website and opt out. Uh, now, I don't know if, if that works at the moment because they're only trialling it, but that will stop you, I believe, having access to the Wi-Fi network, which you might think is not a problem. But I seem to remember, and I can't remember if we mentioned this in the show when we talked about it first, there's also another thing that it takes away from you. It might be tube Wi-Fi. Um but again, it, tube Wi-Fi is also free if you're on basically any of the mobile networks and everyone is on the mobile network. So really, you probably shouldn't have to worry. When I go on it, I just use my three account. But if you want to stop it without them knowing, then all you have to do is just build a little Faraday cage for your uh, your broadband, your home broadband, especially if you're using it in um, uh, router mode rather than... No, if you're using it in modem mode rather than router mode where you're not actually using the Wi-Fi yourself. Um, obviously, you just build a little metal box for it um, and then they won't be able to... No one will be able to connect to the Wi-Fi because it won't be getting out. But of course, I don't use my Virgin modem as my Wi-Fi hotspot. I have another... I have a router which does that. and Because that thing is... The Virgin modem is absolutely atrocious as a router. It is one of the worst things I've ever used. What um, in life? That is literally one of the worst things you've ever used well, in your entire a, life. It's absolutely abysmal, yeah, and it hasn't got any better either. It has progressively got worse. So uh, anyone using them it, it, as their sole point of access uh, is really, they're, they're cheating themselves. Well, let us know any other thoughts you have about Wi-Fi, and thanks very much to Mike for sending in that email, along with, of course, with his patronage. Uh, podcast at natelangson.com, that's where you can send yours. Now, The Guardian, almost, I think, along with literally every other tech site in the world, reported um, that Nokia's 3310 might be about to re-slither down the resurrectory birth canal, if that is such a term, uh, later this month. If it is, it shouldn't be. Because that's gross. (laughs) Slither down the resurrectory birth canal. What's wrong with that? It's nothing um, wrong with that. It's unpleasant. It's an unpleasant image. It's evocative. It is. Is what it is. What it is. According to regular accurate leaker Evan Blass, uh, he says the paper, a revised 3310 will be unveiled at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona at the end of the month. Now, this is styled as an homage and will cost about 50 quid, uh, which really is a steal compared to the fact that in 2000, the 3310 cost £119. Now, this is a fitting story to have discovered this week because last week we were talking about our favourite old mobile phones, um, mostly because I just wanted to. And then literally a couple of days after that, it's the last time I'm going to say literally this week, uh, we saw this news that the 3310 might be getting resurrected. Um, now, this is great. If this begin, this turns out to be true, and all the signs are that it is, then it's going to be manufactured by HMD. Now, I forgot who HMD was and I was talking to Andy Hoyle at CNET the other week and and I thought it was a Chinese manufacturer that bought the brand but it's actually Foxconn that's doing the manufacturer according to Andrew Um, and HMD is a uh, is basically the new home for the Nokia brand after it was purchased and killed by Microsoft it was created by former Nokia employees and is based in Finland and their goal is to keep you know the joy of Nokia phones alive and it does seem that perhaps 15 years or however long it is 17 years 
after the 3310 came out um, that maybe it's time for a revival and you know in this world of of phone hacking and always on connections and and everything it does seem like not the worst time to launch a simple hard as cockroach type mobile phone what do you think ian um okay i have two distinct thoughts about this are they both negative no the first thought is this is the worst thing ever to happen to the entire history of the world and that's (laughs) that's negative well that yes but i said that there's two and that's the first one i i what annoyed me more about this story than the fact that the phone is coming back is the reaction to the phone coming back because everyone sort of lost their minds about you know Oh, this phone is coming back. This is this is a, this is my favourite phone. Right, I'll be honest. I never had this phone. I never saw the attraction. I think it's an ugly beast. And yes, it certainly was rugged, and it certainly did last. But so did like Ericsson T18s and stuff like that. Um, it, it it's one of those things. You know, you. I mean, everyone's aware of this phenomenon. People talk about a TV program. They say that you know Westworld is the best TV program ever, and you know, you, and it. it and you haven't seen it, and it, you get crosser and crosser and crosser about the fact that everyone won't shut up about it until you're like, no, I've been watching it now. On principle, I, I I just can't do it. Yeah, so that was my first reaction. And I you know, I don't really care about the phone coming back. And then I was thinking about this um situation, uh, you know, like the 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 Donald Trump as it is, you know, people having their phones searched at the border. And I thought, oh, well actually. This is a phone that you could take abroad with you. You don't need to worry about anyone getting into it. There's no information that's particularly valuable on it. It's not a smartphone. You just have a nice little simple phone and it lets you text and make calls while you're abroad um, and your data stays safely at home where it can't be bothered. And from that perspective, yeah. Or to put in your car as an emergency phone. You know, there there are lots of good uses for it. I, I remain annoyed by the whole thing because it's not going to come back looking the same, is it? And if it does, people will be like, this is a brick. I hate it. Why have I got this? It's, why does it weigh this much? What's and then wrong they'll with see, it? And then they'll say, wow, I haven't charged it for two weeks. And wow, the apocalypse happened. And the only thing still surviving is cockroaches and this phone. Yeah, but that, it might, that phone might survive a nuclear apocalypse. but it won't because it's an electric device like any other. But um, it, it, it still relies on a network behind it to operate, doesn't it? It's not a magic device. It's not a flipping walkie-talkie. Anyway, um, this is going to be hopefully coming out at Mobile World Congress. That's at the end of this month hopefully the most massive air quotes in the world i've just done let us know any thoughts you have on anything so far we've discussed podcast at natelangson.com or suggest stories for us at text message pod that's where we are increasingly keeping our eyes and one thing that uh, came out of neither of those channels this week uh, was the news that ian can you pronounce the name of this irish mobile network please uh well i think it's probably air air or ear it's more likely to be air, isn't it? I mean, no one's going to name a network ear. Ear, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's obviously derived from the name of the the Irish name for Ireland, which is depending on what who you believe online, either air or airy or airy or something like that. If you're Irish, please let us know and try not to mock, mock too much that our, in, our inability to pronounce your country name. 
True. And the, and I wanted to talk about this because as part of my push to, to reach into more corners of the United Kingdom, um, I'd been following and subscribing and reading a hell of a lot more news about Ireland, Wales and Scotland in order to make sure that any big tech stories that happen in those countries are being represented better on the show. And I saw this this week and I thought it was really interesting that this network will be the first to launch uh, Wi-Fi calling, which is the obviously the technology that allows people to use their Wi-Fi networks at home or abroad to make calls when they're out of signal. It is the first Irish network, according to the Irish Times, to do this. And Sinead Morrissey, who is the head of products for the network, said there's no need for downloadable client. It's all integrated into the device. So this is a nod that they're not doing what 3 used to do, which is make you download a separate app. They're using the in, you know, the the hardware-based, for want of a better description, Wi-Fi call, uh, which is which is great. Now, this will only launch on the Galaxy S6 and, X and S7 first. And uh, Morrissey said that Samsung's the largest proportion of their user base. So they wanted to start with a range of devices that would give them the most reach across that base. But specifically, no iOS devices, which I find a little bit disappointing. But it's a good sign that it's not just our big uh, networks in mainland England that are uh, jumping into the Wi-Fi calling space. This is extending out um, into the other regions too. Uh, which I think is great. That's going to be available for people who pay on a bill uh, from the end of this month, early March, which is which is great. And I'm using that as a bit of a segue as well to talk about a couple of emails we had this week that stemmed from previous calls that we had about Wi-Fi calling. Apparently, when you talk about Wi-Fi calling, it, it gets a reaction out of people. A lot of people have very positive and negative experiences, depending on who you ask about this. And uh, Andy wrote in and says... Chaps, great stuff as always. Just two quick things. Although I have to say, the second quick thing we aren't going to have time for today. So this is just one quick things. Uh, on EE, at least, for Wi-Fi calling to work on almost all Android phones, you need a handset that was supplied by them and that has their Android on it. Uh, Andy says, my Galaxy S6 came unlocked from another retailer and so won't support Wi-Fi calling, uh, which he says is very annoying. Uh, clipped text he provided from EE's website says Wi-Fi calling is available in all version of the iPhone 5C and later models of iPhone, as well as a whole bunch of these Galaxies and even the BlackBerry Priv. Now, that is a slap in the face, isn't it? The Priv <laughs> gets to use it, that we're, you know, all of its nine users. And the, and the DTEC 50. Yeah. Uh, it's only available on the EE version of all other compatible Android and Windows devices when directly bought from us. Now, there are probably very good technical reasons for this, but as a customer user experience, from my point of view, that's Nate speaking, not Andy, um, this is really bad. And I've looked at this, and it's the same on Vodafone, which, um, you know, you have to have the compatible device, but it says um, for, for Galaxies, for example... They have to be bought directly from Vodafone at one of our stores online or by phone through our customer services team. So again, you have to be buying it directly from them. Now, I thought that was very, very frustrating. Then we also had another email come in from Richard on exactly the same well, related topics is, Hi, Nate, just listen to your latest podcast on Wi-Fi calling. You mentioned Vodafone has it, and I just wanted to point out that they limit it. As an iPhone 6 user, they've decided that I should not get Wi-Fi calling, even with a poor signal at home. For about a year, they've been saying my phone is not com- is not capable of Wi-Fi calling, despite me pointing out that EE supports it, as does 3, um, or that they have a limited rollout to test it. And he wonders, surely they've tested by now. He says he has a more cynical view that they're trying to force him to upgrade when in actual fact what I'm 
doing is going to leave their network. I personally decided to wait to upgrade until I see what the 10th anniversary iPhone looks like. Um, and he asks, um, as a matter of interest, is it usual for Wi-Fi calling not to work when you are abroad? And the answer is no. You should be able to use it when you're abroad. That's one of the points, is that you it, it uses Wi-Fi. It should not be regionally locked. But it's it's interesting just how much confusion there is over what should be such a simple piece of technology, Wi-Fi calling, Ian. Well, I, 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 on that point about using it abroad, I seem to remember when they launched things like femtocells. You couldn't just take the femtocell away with you and plug it in when you were abroad um, because they didn't want you to be able to do that because obviously you're, what you're doing is skirting the roaming uh, payment. So I, I wondered if, well, I suppose on Wi-Fi calling, they're billing you the same amount as they would if you were making a normal call. So it probably doesn't matter to them if you're using it when you're abroad because they're still getting the same amount of revenue, which is a bit of a cheek because you're basically providing their network to them. But anyway, yeah. Um, But yeah, it's confusing and it's stupid and it's another one of these things that doesn't need to be. It's a relatively straightforward process. If your phone supports it, uh, then it should support it, especially when... Because you can, every phone downloads profiles from the network, doesn't it? When you when you go online, so, yeah. so there's things like voicemail numbers and stuff like that. And it's usually done for a text message that sets up the phone for WAP and things like that. So it wouldn't be too difficult, surely, for them to offer a service whereby you know it gets a profile that's appropriate for the network. I don't know. Maybe there's some uh, issue with like people abusing it somehow that we don't know about that they haven't told us, but. It, that just means it's bad customer service. It's you know it doesn't make any sense to me. I can't see any reason for it. Therefore, it's bad. I'm going to find the answer to this. Good. I'm going to look into this, like Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Nate, working from Holmes. Let's finish up with um, some quick quick bite here apparently google's releasing a phone well a version of the pixel and pixel xl called really blue and it's coming to the uk ian just on a show of uh, virtual hands how excited do you get when companies release region specific blue versions of things well i get quite annoyed when they don't release all of the versions in all of the regions because i find it like i find and i I don't want to be too critical of Google, but I do find that Google is one of those ones where they they seem absolutely 100% focused on America and anyone that gets anything else is just lucky. Uh, like we don't have Google Home, we don't have the Google Wi-Fi routers, stuff like that. Um, so uh, for, for me, I was sort of... But I swear when they launched the Pixel in the UK and the US at the same time, I'm sure they said it was never coming to the UK um, but it is now, which is good because apparently it is quite nice. Well, Google says the phone's going to come to stores on the uh, 24th of February. So that's what next uh, next week, end of the week. Um, and, in, and according to Engadget, if you, you know, if you miss the pre-order blast, there's hyperbole for you. Um, then there's still a chance of picking one up in store. Well, finishing us up, we're going to talk about Amazon's voice assistant. I'm not going to say the name of the product just to prevent all of your uh, devices from lighting up. Amazon's voice assistant uh, product will... In fact, we can say Echo. Uh, it is going to get a whole new uh, bunch of words it can say, all in the US market. But I thought this was interesting that they've picked out a bunch of quote-unquote English terms or British-isms uh, that it will be able to say. Now, Ian, I want you to give me a rate out of 10, uh, 10 being the most um, common these words are used, uh, to one as to how uh, much these words are used <laughs> in in Britain. Okay. okay. Who? 
Well, as in to take over the government? No, that's no, not coup as in coup. Coup is in C O O, and not chief operating officer, oh. which I assume is not what it means either. Um, well, I mean that. that I, I can only go by what I say, but zero. I mean, I don't mm. don't say that. Yeah, go on. Uh, cheer up. Uh, um, I, maybe a four. Nah, that's more like seven. You reckon? I've said it like four times today to the cat. Well, well first of all, <laughs> I need to explain something to you about cats. And second of all, what? Yeah. All right, good grief. Oh, I say that all the time. Yeah. That, that and good heavens, that's a nine. Good heavens, that's a little, that's an older word, uh, slightly older person's word. I don't think, I don't think young people say good grief How as much. dare you? Yes. They on. say WTF and omg and... Yeah, but I've got kids, so really I'm, I'm just, you know, good grief is a nice way of expressing, you know, something without grief. ruining the children. Okay. Cheerio. I mean, that's very British. I mean, I don't it think is, it gets it? said a lot, but it's certainly, um, let's go for a six. No, that is a ten. Surely, it's, no, I know. because it, no people, no people don't actually say cheerio, do they? Yes. Well, you're, I know you're going to now finish this very episode of this podcast with cheerio. Yeah, or tata, which ta-ta, is another one. Yeah, that's, that's a northernism. That's, that's what that's... My, my dad says that, and he's Welsh, so uh, I mean, he doesn't say it a lot, but yeah, I, again, but uh, no, I'm not. I don't think that's a very common word. So let's go no. for a five. Yeah, righto. Uh. Much more popular pre-1920, I think. Yeah, I don't think people really say that. They're three. Righto! Etc. Uh, and then, uh, finally, whoops-a-daisy. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I say whoops-a-daisy quite a bit. But only because it's hilarious. Yes, it is, isn't it? I- I'd-, I'd opt for a five out of ten. Yeah. I mean, the Guardian postulates that these words were called straight from Mary Poppins, which which makes which makes sense. I, and, I can and, see and the film Notting Hill for whoopsie yeah. daisy has a quite a famous bit in it doesn't it where he says whoopsie daisy and she says to him what did you actually just say that oh really yeah i think so yeah mm, okay okay i think that's going to do it for this week's show thank you ever so much to everyone who has got in on our early patreon supporting uh mission so far you can join us at patreon.com slash uk tech and across the pond where Tom Merritt is also supported by Patreon. He covers the world of global tech news. Tom, what's been going on in global tech with you this week? Hey, thanks, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we talk about cutting the cord with Veronica Belmont, whether downloadable content for video games is a ripoff or a way to get more good game content. Explore a way to give a passcode that wipes your data to protect your phone at border crossings, and whether that's a good idea or not. Evaluate leaks of the next iPhone and whether it will spike Apple's sales. And we find out the next big cyber attack wave coming after ransomware when David Spark reports from the RSA conference. All that and more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Back to you guys. That's it, Ian. Thanks. We're done. That's good. Cheerio. It's been, been good. Cheerio, tata. And uh, please, if you haven't already, go to patreon.com slash UKTech, where you can get hold of our extended cuts of this show, weekly columns written by myself and possibly Ian, who knows, we haven't actually discussed that yet, <laughs> and, uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff just waiting for you there. Patreon.com slash UKTech. Ian, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to verbally embracing you again next week. Right, and it shall happen.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.